Well, good morning. Welcome to LifePoint. Well, last week we started this really exciting journey in the life of our church called Catalyst. And, and Catalyst is just a substance that causes change, but we have some very specific ways that we believe God is calling us to be change agents in our church family, in our community, and in our world. If you're here for the first time today, or if you've just taken that Try Five Challenge and you're finding out a little bit more about our church, this is a perfect time to come and check out LifePoint because you're going to hear over the next few weeks what we believe God is calling us to do and be as a church. If you want all the details on Catalyst, just go to our website or out at the table in the lobby that says Catalyst over it and you can find out more about this journey that God is taking us on as a church. Already I'm hearing people tell stories about how God's using them in new ways. How God's speaking to them in new ways. And how they've taken the challenge to be an agent of change in their church family, in their community, and in their world. I believe over the next two years we're going to see God use our church in ways we could have never imagined. If we rewind several years, God has done more than we could ask or imagine to get us to this point. And I believe in the future, from today forward, He's going to do more than we could ever ask or imagine. That's why you hear that verse that just came up over and over again, because God truly can do that in our church and in our lives. I'm not only excited about what's going to happen in our church over the next couple years, I'm excited about what's going to happen in your lives, the way God's going to work, the way he's going to move in new ways. Today we're going to start talking about some ways to evaluate ourselves. We're going to evaluate ourselves in the area of trust and generosity. See, it's really important that we completely put our trust in God. It's also really important that we understand what generosity is all about. See, God, God knows that, that we need to understand this one big point, that generosity is not about what God wants from you. Generosity is about what God wants for you. And people who take the step across that line into generosity, their lives change. Things get different really fast. And that all starts with trust. In my house, there are two teenagers. And when they were little, I used to have this talk with them that has kept going on until now. They're 14 and 16 years old. And that's dad's trust talk. And we have it on a pretty regular basis, especially now that one's out driving on her own and sometimes takes a little sister with her. Uh, I'll say, hey, we need to talk. And they're like, is this the trust talk? Absolutely, it's the trust talk. Because when they were very little and we were first just dropping them off to walk into school, I would say, I want you to know, honey, daddy really wants to be able to trust you. I really want to know that when you say you're doing something, that's what you're doing. And I really want to know that you're the same person when you're at home as you are when you're out and when you, as you are when you're with your friends. And, and you, you really need to let daddy know that he can trust you. Because if I can trust you, life will go well for you. Life will be happier for you if I can trust you. And I, I, I drive home the point, hey, you're, let's say you're 15 and you break my trust. How many years did it take to gain that? 15. Well, how many think it's going to take to get it back? That's right. You'll be 30 years old <laughs> before I'll ever trust you again. Trust is a really big deal. And God speaks to us and says, I want you 
to trust me. There's some Bibles coming in the aisles right now. We're going to read a verse that is in the book of Proverbs. It's the very first verse I ever memorized when I gave my life to Christ and I started opening up the scriptures and reading. Somehow I got to this verse and I memorized it. Just take one of those Bibles if you want one. You can take it home with you or leave it in the back on the way out. Proverbs chapter 3 verse 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. This verse gives us some great insight as to how much we can trust God and some benefits of what it's like to put trust in him. Because when I put trust in God, I'm trusting in something greater than myself and I experience freedom like I could never experience any other way. And just like I said to my girls, life will go better for you. Life will go better for me if I trust God. And God wants you to experience the fact that you can trust him. That you don't have to get it all figured out. That you don't have to have all the answers. That you don't have to know what's coming in the future. God just says, trust me and stop trying to understand things on your own. Trust me. If you want life to go well for you, trust me. The Hebrew word for trust is pronounced batak. And it has to do with security. It has to do with, to have, it has to do with putting your confidence upon another. To throw your cares on someone else or something else. And God is saying, if you trust me, I want you to get your security from me. I want you to to push your cares to me. All the cares that you have in life, all the questions, all the things that make you feel uneasy inside, push those to me and let me take care of those for you. That's batak. That's what God wants us to do. Now, there's some areas of life that are so much easier to trust God than others. You know, when I travel, I'm on a flight or somewhere, you know, maybe a little bit dangerous. I I pray and I say, God, protect me. And if something happens, take care of my family. And I trust that God is going to do that. If I didn't, I couldn't get out of the house. I mean, I trust that God would take care of things if something happened to me. And it's easy to just turn that over to God or, or trust God with my career, or trust God with my, with my health, or trust God with my relationships. Those are pretty easy things to trust God with because a lot of times they're out of our control. You're 30,000 feet in the air, you're not in a lot of control, so you got to trust. You're somewhere in another country where it's dangerous, not a lot of control, you got to trust. We don't have control, much control over our economy, but you just have to trust. And then when it comes to our finances, we just have to trust. And that's a part where it's really difficult for people to trust God. Because our finances are areas where we, we can get some control. And you might think, well, now you're, I know you're going to talk about money because you laid out this $5 million two-year goal and you got to get some money and I understand that. But why do you have to talk about money in church? Come on. It's church. I want to be comfortable Please don't do that. There's three things. If you talk about them in church, people start to squirm a little bit. So just go ahead and start squirming. So you start talking about money. People are like, no, 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 this is between me and God. It's nothing to do with anybody else. Please don't talk about it. You you start to talk about politics, which should not be talked about in church. I agree. But it, it, it makes people uncomfortable. 
If I started just spouting it off, you'd be like, wow. I mean, and it, that shouldn't happen. Or you start talking about sex in church. People are like, wow, this is church, not a movie. Or, you know, come on. So the first and the last should be talked about in church because they're very spiritual issues. So when you start thinking about, well, why are we talking about money in church? Take it up with Jesus because two-thirds of the stories that he told in Scripture were about money and possessions. So if you start reading the life of Jesus and when he would start to tell a parable, two-thirds of the time it was about money or possessions. The only thing he talked about more was faith. He talked a lot about money. Why did he do that? Because he knows how easy it is for humans to take the trust that should be placed in God and put that in our stuff, put that in our finances. So he says, trust in me. So he talks about it because it can pull our trust away from God to our stuff, to our money. I want, to give your, I want you to give yourself a self-test. On your notes that you have in your program, on the left side of your notes, write down a 1. On the right side, write down a 10. I want you to rate yourself on how much you trust God. 1 being not at all. There's no way you're going to trust God. 10 being that you just trust Him with everything. Now, there's a number there. Just self-evaluate. Nobody's going to see it. Unless you want your spouse sitting next to you, your person next to you to see it. Nobody else has to see it. You just write down where you think you are in your trust of God. And write down this point. My trust in God and my generosity toward God are connected. Now, on the same scale, write down and rate yourself where you are in the area of generosity. That's, I know it's hard. It's like, well, you know, I just... I just want to be humble. I don't want to. This is, if you, this is you. Nobody's going to see this but you, okay? So write it down. One to ten, where are you in the area of generosity? So if you wrote down, I trust God nine, then your generosity should be nine. Because your level of generosity is the same as your level of trust. Those things are connected. You can't say, I trust God with everything, but I'm a two when it comes to generosity. It doesn't work that way. Those two are connected. And the more I trust God, the more generous I become. And that's when generosity begins. It's when I place all of my trust in God. See, this catalyst journey is about so much more than asking you to support the vision financially. Of course that's an element there's a financial element to it. it. There has to be. It takes money to pay for all the stuff that we believe God is calling us to do. And if life points to your church family, then you should give and be generous to help make it happen. But it goes so far beyond. If it was just about money, this message would be really short. I would just say, hey, we need some money. And you need to write a check. We would just say, we're doing all this stuff. We need money to pay for it. So give money to pay for it. And we'd be done and we would go home. But it's so much more than financial. It's about what God is going to do in the lives of people. When we were laying this out a few months ago, our excitement was not from, oh, people are going to give and it's going to be big and, and we're going to reach or exceed that goal and it's going to be awesome. The discussion was about all the opportunity we saw for people to be able to grow in their relationship with God. 
Because you can't be gen- you cannot be generous and not grow. When you're generous, wherever whatever that means for you, wherever you are on the financial scale, when you are generous, you will grow. But even beyond the financial, I'm already hearing stories of how God is working in people's lives, about things that He's prompting them to do. Someone just last week, after the after the service, sent an email and said, "Today motivated me to stop my addiction." Last week, we didn't even mention the word addiction, I don't think. We didn't even talk about it. But the person left saying, what I heard today makes me want to stop my addiction. And I need some help and I want you to hold me accountable. It didn't have anything to do with money. And then story after story of how people believe God's calling them to be and do and act in their lives. So as we're generous, we're counting on God not to just... For our church to be generous enough to where we all together pay the bill. But we're counting on God to move in the hearts of people for change to happen in our church family and in our community and in our world. And God says, just trust me. Trust me with everything. Trust me with your finances. Now, our finances are, that's perhaps the hardest area in which to give all, the, all of it over to God. Because finances represent some things. They represent power, they represent security, they represent comfort, and and fun. You can buy stuff that's fun, you can buy some comfort, you can buy some things that you really enjoy in life, and then God says, I want you to transfer all the trust you have in things and money, and I want you to transfer that trust to me, and then you'll be more generous because of it. That gets a little bit scary because then What we've had trust in begins to be a little less because we're more generous, and it gets a little scary. People have always struggled with this. You can read in the New Testament, or in the Old Testament, when when God was delivering the Israelites out of slavery, out of bondage in Egypt, through the leadership of Moses, he was leading them towards this place called the Promised Land. And he's telling them about this beautiful place called the promised land, that when they get there, they're going to have houses like they've never had before. They're going to have abundance of food and their their crops and their herds and their flocks and everything is just going to be great. Stock market's always going to be up. Gas is always going to be affordable and things are just going to be rocking in the promised land. And God is trying to get them ready and he's saying, look, but you're going to be tempted as you enjoy all of these things that you're going to have. All of the blessings that I'm going to give you, you're going to be tempted to start to trust in the provision more than the provider, just like we are. It's tempting to trust in the blessings God has given us rather than in the God who gives us the blessings. And God says to these people, as they're getting ready to enjoy an abundant life, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 17, he says, you may say to yourself, my power And the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And it's so easy to get our trust misplaced and where our trust becomes in wealth or money. And we're all wealthy. We all had meals today. We're all wealthier than than 98% of the rest of the world. And God says, be careful not to put your trust in that because I'm the one that gives you the ability. Because isn't it easy when more money's in the bank to feel like God's with you and working more? I mean, just tell the truth. It is. 
I mean, when, when we go through months and a transmission hasn't fallen out of a car or we haven't needed a big repair or, you know, siding hasn't come off the side of the house and need the house painted, all that, when that stuff's not going on and the savings is able to swell and swell and swell, it's like, yeah, life's good. God loves me. But then all that stuff starts happening and it starts to shrink and in your heart goes, oh my gosh, can't I get ahead? Can't I just catch a break? And God says, would you just trust in me and stop trying to understand all this on your own? There's a couple of episodes in scripture where two men came up to Jesus and had very different ways of approaching him, but they both had an opportunity to trust. The first one, his name is Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus was a very interesting guy. He he worked for the Roman government, but he was a Jew. And what he did for the Roman government was he went to his fellow Jews and collected taxes. And not just collected taxes that were due, he would skim a little bit off the top, get a little bit under the table, and he would cheat people, so he was a very wealthy man. Can you imagine the guy didn't have many friends? Not many people liked Zacchaeus. But Zacchaeus had heard about Jesus. He heard that Jesus was this great teacher and this prophet. And listen what happens as he interacts with Jesus. In Luke chapter 19, verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Now here's this wealthy man that wants to see Jesus, wants to get a little bit closer, but Because he's short, he's got to climb a tree. And if you went to Sunday school as a child or you've heard your kids sing about the wee little man, this is him. This is Zacchaeus, that wee little man that our kids sing about. And so he's so short, he climbs up in this tree. Now, we just read right past that Zacchaeus climbed up in a tree. But there's a lot more packed underneath the fact he climbed up in this tree. Because remember, the Bible's written in first century culture, first century geography. So there's a lot of meanings that just go right over our heads because We don't understand the culture and the geography and just the way things are done. So Zacchaeus climbs up in this tree called a sycamore fig tree. Now there's significance about the sycamore fig tree. It's not a fig tree that's talked about in scripture. This is a different kind of tree. This is a very undesirable tree. It's kind of like the sweet gum trees that grow that we hate. That's got those little prickly balls. And when you run them with your mower, it kind of shoots them like a rocket out. You got to be careful. Nobody can be standing downwind of you when you're mowing the lawn. If you got one of those in your yard, they could put an eye out with that thing. Or you can't walk through your yard barefoot or you step on one and it hurts. And nobody's going to go down to the local nursery and say, hey, we want to fill our yard with sweet gum trees. Could we buy some of those? And they're going to be like, well, you can have some, but we're not, we don't sell those because nobody wants them. Well, a sycamore fig tree was a very undesirable tree, and it, it did have nothing like our sycamore trees or our fig trees, but it did have a fruit on it. And if people were seen under or in a sycamore fig tree in the first century, the first thing people would think is, well, they've gone bankrupt, they're poor, they're destitute, they're desperate, because the only time someone would eat the fruit, the nasty-tasting fruit off of this tree, is if they were about to starve to death. And the last place a person of wealth would ever want to be seen was anywhere around a sycamore fig tree, because people would go, did you see that? Oh, man, Mr. Jones must be down on his luck. He must be drinking again. I mean, what's going on? I mean, they would have just, just everybody would have focused on this wealthy man at this tree. But Zacchaeus climbs this tree, 
because he wants to see Jesus. It would be equivalent to going to New York City and driving down the street and you see Donald Trump having lunch in a dumpster. It would be like, what's the deal? Wealthy people don't jump in a dumpster and have lunch. Wealthy people don't climb up in a sycamore fig tree in the first century. If you want to have any self-worth, if you want to have any dignity, you would wait till nightfall and you would sneak out there and get yourself something to eat if you were hungry. But here this guy's doing it in the middle of the day and it baffled the people around him. So he approached Jesus with this lack of care of what other people thought. The other guy that approached Jesus is in Mark chapter 10. He has no name, he's just, he's just referred to as the rich young ruler, and this guy was proper, he was a rule follower, he would have been a churchgoer, he would have been dressed nice and all of his pants pressed, and he would have been a really nice guy. Ladies, the kind of guy you'd want to take home to mama, just a really nice, sweet fellow. And he goes up to Jesus and says this in Mark chapter 10, good teacher, he asked, what, thing, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. Now, why would Jesus say, why do you call me good? Because Jesus is like, Jesus, he is good. So why would he say that? Well, Jesus was a good, he was a Jewish rabbi. And today, if you go to a Jewish rabbi and you say, good rabbi, he's going to say, no, don't call me good. Only God is good. So Jesus was just doing what any rabbi would have done when this guy comes up and says, what do I need to do to get eternal life? Now, they approach him in two different ways. Zacchaeus approaches in humility, climbing up in this tree, not caring what anybody thought. The rich young ruler comes up and says, what do I need to do? Give me list one, two, three. I am an achiever. I would like to do these things so I can receive what it is that you're giving out. See, the way I approach Jesus determines my response when he asks me to do something. Do I approach him in humility with a spirit of of teachability? with, I don't care what anybody else thinks, I just want to know what Jesus wants? Or do I approach him just saying, okay, Jesus, give me the facts. I only got a few minutes. I just, come on, give it to me. Because the way you approach something and the way you answer, it really determines how the response is going to go. If you're at home, guys, and your wife, you're out in the garage, and she says, honey, come here, and you don't answer. Honey, come here, and you don't answer. And then you have a choice. Am I going to say, what, dear? Or am I going to say, what? Now, you'll get different responses based on how you answer the command to come here from your wife. And the former is a much more advisable response if she's calling for you to come in the house. If you're sitting down at the table and whoever does the cooking in your family and you sit down and they say, is that good? And you say, well, I'm full. (laughs) I mean, it filled me up. I mean, it's all, in the, it's all in the response. So the way you repro- approach Jesus is going to determine how you respond when he asks you to do something. So how did these two guys respond to Jesus? Well, the first guy heard Jesus say this. Or how did Jesus respond to them? In verse 19 of Mark 10. You know the commandments. This is to the rich guy. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, I have kept all of these since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. 
Jesus knew that this rich young guy had misplaced his trust. He knew that he had allowed the stuff that he had in his life to become what he trusted in. He knew, Jesus knew that the trust that was supposed to be given to God had been transferred to his earthly wealth. And just like Jesus does with us when we come to him, he expects us to remove the things from our life that keep us from fully and completely trusting him. So he says to the guy, sell your stuff and give to the poor. And the guy goes away sad because he could not transfer his trust from his stuff to Christ. So that was his response. He approached Jesus with all this confidence that he was going to get some rules and be able to obey them and then have eternal life. But Jesus responded basically by saying, you need to go be generous. And the guy was like, not sure about that one. And he goes away sad. Now here's what Zacchaeus heard, who had humbled himself, got in this tree that other people wouldn't get in. It says in verse 5, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest, be the guest of a sinner. So why did Jesus notice Zacchaeus? There would have been people on housetops. There would have been people on the backs of camels. I mean, Zacchaeus could have said to somebody, he was so wealthy, he could have said, here's 20 bucks. Let me get on your shoulder so I can see Jesus. But he wanted Jesus to know, I really want to know you. And I really want you to notice me. And I really want you to know my heart. So I'm going to climb this tree that nobody else would climb so you will see me. And Jesus did. Jesus' heart is pulled towards people who throw caution to the wind and don't care what anybody else thinks and says, I just want to get close to Jesus, whatever it takes. And here's the result of Zacchaeus approaching Christ with humility. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Both of these guys had an opportunity to trust God. The rich guy leaves without trusting because he trusted in the provision more than the provider. Zacchaeus trusted in Christ, and the natural response was generosity. Trust came first, and then a generous result came from it. Trust in wealth leads to disappointment. Trust in God leads to generosity. When I trust in something, my heart moves towards it. The rich guy trusted in his wealth, and that's where his heart had moved. It had moved towards it to where he couldn't give it up. Zacchaeus transferred his trust to Jesus, and because of that, he was generous. And as my trust increases, my generosity will increase. So if, if, if when I start talking about generosity and we start talking about money and how we're going to fund this Catalyst Vision, if, if you're like reaching around for your wallet and holding on a little bit tighter, it's like, wow, that was a creative way to ask for money. Think about this. We gave out, we gave out those commitment cards last week. If you didn't get one, you can get one this week. And some of you as leaders, you've had them for several weeks. We gave those out because, number one, you need to know up front exactly what everything was going to cost and how it was all going to work. And you know what was expected of you. But also because it takes time to wrestle through and pray and, and open that thing up and say, God, what is it 
that you want me to do. Now, I know some of you, you open that up, you filled it out, and you've already handed them back in because you just live a life of generosity, and you already get this, that trust and generosity are connected. But some of us have to just struggle through and wrestle through what are we going to do, and that's why we gave a whole month of you doing that before we say, hey, bring these commitments back, and let's see what God's going to do. I've got one of those commitment cards too. And the Williams family sat around the table the other night with it open saying, what, how, what are we going to do? How are we going to trust? How are we going to... When, when, <clears throat> it's easy to write down the tithe. That's just been a part of our lives for a long time. But then how are we going to go? How are we going to expand? How are we going to do more in this season of our church? And here's some things that scare me a little bit, make me have to wrestle. So over the next four years, I've got two college tuitions to be paying. They're not mine. It's for the kids in my house. So I'm thinking, all right, I know God trusts, but wow, I got this. Really, this was for something else. But you're calling on me to, to be generous now. Well, what about the future? And God is saying clearly, trust me. I'm still wrestling through that. Do I really need to spend X amount of dollars for cable every month? So far, the answer is still yes, because I love my DVR. But I'm, I'm praying. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm praying that that's something that I can release and just give up and save 150 bucks or whatever it is a month and say, God, I'm going to give this to you and use an HD antenna. I mean, I'm praying through that. So I, as you wrestle through, God, what do you want me to do? Know that every leader in this church is wrestling through the same thing, including me. See, trust leads to us being more generous. Last week you heard a story about a young man who, who tragically died in a motorcycle accident. You heard his mother tell the story about they took the money that was given to them and they established the scholarship fund, with, and it was a significant amount of money. I saw it all. And I helped get the account all set up to establish the LifePoint Scholarship Fund for kids. And you heard her tell about who that went to, Eddie Berrios, one of, one of our worship pastors at LifePoint. I want you to hear Eddie's side of the story today. Take a look. So um, our defining moment at LifePoint Church has to do with generosity. But it wasn't on the giving end of generosity. It was actually on the receiving end. Um, it was back in 2008. Uh, I was we're chugging my way through seminary. My wife was working, <clears throat> and she was gracious enough to help provide for that tuition. Uh, but it was it was tough. It wasn't the easiest thing to pay for tuition. Um, and a family who had just recently lost their son in a tragic motorcycle accident, Cindy and David Wagner, um, they were able to provide in such an incredible way. The money that they received from their son's passing, they gave and put it into a scholarship fund for people that are going to school to receive. <clears throat> I was one of the first recipients to receive that scholarship and they called my name up um, at that summer bash and I was just in shock and I was in so much joy and to see this family and how they gave with such joy and generosity even though their son had just passed was amazing. It was incredible to see the love that they had for others. And so when I think about generosity, when my wife and I talk about generosity, it makes us really, really think and it challenges us as they have set the bar super high for us and really set the example for us and what generosity should look like. And so my wife and I have been, pray have been praying about 
what it might look like to give sacrificially and what it might look like to <clears throat> participate in this vision that God has called us to do with LifePoint Church. Trust has impact far beyond what we can see. When they gave that scholarship to Eddie, they didn't know that. Can you imagine getting to meet the people that Zacchaeus's generosity benefited? It benefited poor people who had nothing to eat or nowhere to live. And, and so half of whatever he had, which would have been very wealthy because of what he did for a profession, went to help not just physically poor people, but also spiritually poor people, people who were far from God. And I wish the stories were written down of people saying, you know, I lived far from God. And this guy named Zacchaeus, because of what he gave, I heard about Jesus and, and my life is different now. Or people telling stories about, I didn't know how we were going to feed my kids. And this guy named Zacchaeus, he, he gave money and it changed my life. Or someone that he had cheated out of money. He just shows up at the door and they're at a hard time. And he goes, hey, you remember that thousand bucks you slid me under the table because you had to? Or I would have had you arrested. Here's $4,000 back. I'd love to be able to know how that worked. Because all Zacchaeus did was trust and be generous. And God took that and did something big with it. See, trust means that I make decisions without knowing what the outcome is going to be. So when I'm deciding my level of generosity, I'm going to have to make decisions without knowing what may or may not happen in the future. That's called trust. That's what God means when he says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. Here's the part of Eddie's story that you may not know. Eddie started coming to LifePoint while he was a waiter at Applebee's and a student at the seminary up in Wake Forest. Because a few people from LifePoint just kept inviting him. Somebody worked there that went to our church. And he kept getting all these invitations to LifePoint. So thank you, LifePoint people, for inviting people to church. So this kid, Eddie, a few years ago, 2008, shows up. We are just one site over in the Six Forks movie theater. And he just falls in love with our church. We fall in love with Eddie. But Eddie was going to the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. And we're not Southern Baptist. And at the Southern Baptist Seminary, they love Southern Baptist kids. And I understand why. I, know, I get that. So if you go to a Southern Baptist church, then you get half tuition break. And we're not a Southern Baptist church. So that meant for Eddie to come to our church, his tuition was going to double. But he made a decision. He was going to be part of LifePoint because that's what God was calling him to do. So the first thing we did, we said, here's what we're going to do, Eddie. We will pay. If you'll come and help lead our worship, we will pay that difference. That'll be your pay. We can't pay you a salary, but that 50% you're going to lose, here you go. We're going to pay it every semester. And we paid it straight to the school. So we were his scholarship. And they were happy to take it, of course. Then uh, just a few months after that, after Eddie made that decision, the scholarship comes along. He had no idea what was going to happen when he took that first big trust step. And you may not either. It's kind of like, have you ever done one of those trust falls where you just fall back? And, and Rob Perry's going to come out on the stage. He, I did this first service. He didn't know I was going to do it. He's not coming. Rob, there he comes. I just sprung this on him during the first service. But Rob, trust me, right? Some, sometimes. Yeah. And, and uh, we need Rob really bad. I need Rob really bad, so you can trust me, all right? This worked out first okay. service. Yeah. I heard that comment about my strength. Yes. But, uh, 
Ask so, him about a jet ski incident one, yeah. incident one time. I almost killed Rob on a jet ski. It's a long story. But he still trusts me. So what Rob's going to do physically is what, what I believe God's asking us to do spiritually when it comes to trust and generosity. Instead of trying to figure everything out, God just says, trust me. So Rob, when you're ready, I'm ready. You just, you just fall back. You All right. Can, you, drop me, you drop me, you're doing what's up. Okay, got it. All right, ready? Got it. You just fall. There we go. <laughs> that is what God wants from us. Just trust me. Just trust me. Don't try to figure everything out. I'm just asking you to trust. And when you start to trust, if generosity is an area which you, in which you struggle, you need to start with trust. Start trusting, and before you know it, you'll be like Zacchaeus, and out of your trust will come generosity. It's the only way we're going to achieve this vision that I know God wants to do in our church over the next couple of years. God, thank you so much for this story of a man named Zacchaeus who made a big difference in the world because he trusted. May we do the same. In Jesus' name, amen.